So we continue our journey through Leviticus, and I hope that this has been, been interesting to you. I hope that you are enjoying it, and if you're not, just don't tell me, you know, so <clears throat> just nod and be like, we love this, this is so good, and be like, I can't wait till we're done with that. Um, yeah, just, you know, it's like when you go to a, go to a friend's house and, um, and they cook for you, you, it's always great, right, no matter what, no matter what. Um, so here's my question. Here's our guiding question this morning. Have you ever done anything wrong? No, no, I know. Wrong crowd, right? Wrong crowd. Um, but when we do something wrong, oftentimes, whether it is against God, whether it is against someone else, we don't always know how to make things right, right? Like, isn't that sort of awkward sometimes in the awkward moment when you, um, like a husband or a wife or a, a son or a, a, a dad, mother or a daughter, like however it is, sisters, brothers, and, and you do something that is wrong. And then, but you feel bad about it, but you don't quite know how to make up for it, right? So you don't quite know what to do, what action to take. And you're like, is sorry enough for this? Maybe sorry is not quite enough because this is pretty bad. And you feel awkward. And so that awkwardness can stand in the way of you repairing your relationships. And maybe, I don't know about you, but I felt this way about God before. Like, I, I, I did this thing, it was, I, it was sin, I know that I shouldn't have done it, but God, I'm like, oh, do you still love me? Uh, are, I, am I okay? Like, you're going to smite me with your smiting powers? Of course not, but this is sometimes what we think, right? And, like, the thing that I love about Leviticus is that when you make a mistake, here's the pathway to fix it. Leviticus is very clear. You do this sin, then you bring this sacrifice, and after you make that sacrifice, you're good. After you say, after you make this restitution to those that you hurt, you're good. You, have, you, you are in that process of forgiveness. I love that. And this is, this is sometimes how we get in this weird relationship with God, right? We do something wrong, and then we're like, we feel guilty about it, we feel shame about it, we feel like we can't make it right, and then we back off. We back away from God until years later, we're like, whoa, you know, I don't even, I don't even I, I, I've been in the church for years, I, I did that thing, and I don't know, I still feel bad about it, and I don't know what they think about me. This is, this is one reason we take communion every single week, is because life is hard, and we do things that maybe we shouldn't, and, but when we come into this place, we are reminded you are forgiven. When you take a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup, you remember that Christ's literal body was broken for your forgiveness. You are forgiven. You don't need to live in this place of like, oh, what does God think of me? Because God has forgiven you. Leviticus lays this out very clearly, but there's some weird stuff in Leviticus, right? And, and one of the weird things that we're going to come to today is the idea of skin disease, where, where there's this command where if you have this skin disease, which traditionally is called leprosy in Scripture, but this not sort of the, most scholars would agree, this is not leprosy. This is just anything that would fit under the idea of some skin problem, a rash, a breakout, Poison ivy, like whatever it is, like if it's on your skin, if it's strange, then uh, we got a problem here. Because think about the way life was thousands of years ago, right? The disease could kill everyone. It, it, like people, that one of the, the top killers in the world before modern medicine was diarrhea, right? And like that, that's how tragic 
that things were. And so here, we must think, we must put ourselves back in that space of understanding. These people ran on fear, superstition, and a, and a, and a genuine fear towards anything that may be contagious because it could sweep through. And so, here is the words of the Lord on skin. It's like, where are we going with this? Just hang with me. Hang with me. Hang with me. Okay. It, it, will, it will end in a good place, maybe. Uh-huh. Leviticus 13. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or the one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin. I'm glad the priests don't have this job anymore. Thank you. (laughs) I would not do this. Sorry, (laughs) y'all. You got to go see Andrea. Sorry. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin, and if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines them, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. And if you are ceremonially unclean, then you must leave the camp. You must leave community. You cannot worship. You cannot come to community events. You cannot be around your family. Because if it's contagious, we could all suffer. And so therefore, you're ceremonially unclean. And now you must go until, and it says later in 45, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. This was for the protection of the people. But just imagine if you were in this situation, how humiliating, how terrible, how you must, you felt so much shame around yourself. You would have begun to think that God had punished you, that you did something wrong, that you are now isolated from everyone. But there is hope here in the next chapter in 14 the lord said to moses these are the regulations for a diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing when they are brought to the priest the priest is to go outside of the camp and examine them if they have been healed of their defiling skin disease the the priest shall order the two live clean birds and some cedar wood scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought to the person to be cleansed then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over the fresh water in the clay pot. He is then to take the live bird, dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop into the blood of the bird. This, this sounds like a witch's spell, but it's not. It's, it dip it seven times. He shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird in the open fields. Once the priest saw that you're clean, now you can come back into community. You, you are now declared clean. This is the word of God for, people, for us and all the people of God. Now this is strange, I know. It is out there. It is in many ways outlandish and ridiculous. We know better now, right? We know that this, it's just a rash. We're going to be okay. But we must ask the question, where, how does this all fit into us? How does this all fit into the narrative of Scripture? And do we do any of these sorts of things today? And I would argue that, yes, we still do these things, don't we? When anyone comes to us and is a little bit different, has something that we are, has, has some aspect of their personality, some aspect of their culture, some aspect of their sexuality that we are not quite uh, sure about, that we haven't experienced before, we wonder, oh, is that okay? 
right? Are they, are, they, are they good? Did God punish them? Why is this different? And so when we see difference, we oftentimes want to dissociate ourselves with that thing that is different, don't we? And we do this weird thing, and we are now extremely guilty of it in our whole society. It is not just politics that has sprung to all of our society. When we see that someone is different from us in some way, and we, we then do this process of dissociation, separation, but that doesn't seem to be enough now. We now go a step further and begin to dehumanize that other person. Whether it be a person that is different from us, politically, sexually, ethnically, culturally, we sometimes get into this space of moving to dehumanize. Now they, because of their difference, are somehow lesser of a human than me. They are lesser of a... And you have seen the memes, right? I mean, social media is so bad about this, where we take a person and we turn them on social media, a public figure, into an, literally an animal. Like, this is all fun and games, right? No, it's not. It's not fun and games. It is the process of literal dehumanization, where if they are no longer human, then... I don't have any responsibility towards them, right? They are an animal. They are less than human. Therefore, I don't need to love them. I don't need to care for them. I don't need to protect them. I don't need to engage them. I don't need to sacrifice my life for them because, well, they're an animal. We do this process where we see, this is, this is a process that we see in Leviticus. They're different. They got to go out. They're unclean. There's something wrong with them. They're broken. They're less than human. We see this. It has overtaken our society, hasn't it? It is wrong. And no matter if you disagree with that person on a political stance, no matter if you deeply disagree with that person on a political stance, we never have any right to dehumanize another human being, no matter what. They are still a child of God. They are still created in the image of God of the king. They are still our brother and our sister, and we cannot remove them from that space, from that place. I don't care how much we may disagree with them. They are still a human. They are still God's child. They are still our brother, our sister. But we do this in religion, don't we? We get really good at this sort of process where there is one thing that was good. There was one law that sort of protected us. There was one thing that we used to do to, to kind of to protect. And then it becomes legalism. Then it becomes dehumanization. And it became that way with Jesus. So here we see thousands of years later after Leviticus, after this law had gone forth to basically protect the community and make standards, but also make a way that you could come back in. We find that this is a major issue in Jesus' ministry. In Luke 5, it says this. This is Jesus. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. This is some sort of skin disease, probably not leprosy, probably as we know it, some sort of skin rash, skin um, disease. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Imagine the pain of this man. 
that he had been living outside of the camp in complete social isolation, religious isolation for years. No one would touch him. He must walk around with his hair unkempt, his clothes half torn, with something covering the bottom of his face. He is a social pariah, dehumanized, probably feeling even himself after these years like he himself is not even human. He feels deep sadness about his own life and begs Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, the rule was here that if you touched anyone, later in Leviticus we could see this, if you touched anyone with a defiling skin disease, then you were then also unclean, and you must leave the camp as well. He says, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus do? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Wow. Wow. He, he, he didn't just, he could have just said the words, right? He could have just said the words and he did in other places be healed. But Jesus didn't settle for just saying the words. Jesus went all the way and touched the man. And so therefore, by definition of the priestly law, Jesus himself was also now unclean. He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy, the skin disease left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests. This is why, right? This is why Jesus tells him, go see the priests, because they will pronounce you clean. And now you can enter into society again and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for the cleansing as a testimony for them. Yet the news spread all the more so the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. We encounter people in this situation over and over again in life, don't we? We encounter people that have been told that they are not good enough, that there is something wrong with them, that they are broken, that they have been told by churches, by pastors, by leaders, that you are unclean and you must leave the camp. You must leave the church. Otherwise, you may infect us all. How ridiculous that the followers of Jesus would say these things because it is very clear what Jesus did when he encountered someone who had been outside of the camp, who had been ostracized, who had been left out, who had been marginalized. Jesus cared enough to reach out his hand and touch the person. How often is it that maybe we feel like we don't have the power to heal people, but you know what we do have the power to? Reach out and touch someone. All of us have that. All of us have that capacity, that ability, that power. And oftentimes, isn't it all sometimes just enough? For those of us who have suffered deeply and have been told that we're not good enough, that have been told we are broken, when someone just reaches out and touches us and says, You're good. You're beautiful. You're worthy. You're clean. You're lovely. You're forgiven. There is a deep power in that capacity, isn't there? In that transaction, that just ability to touch someone. That is love exonified. That is love. That is the followers of Jesus reaching out from other people. Jesus is blowing up the religious law that's saying some are out, 
and some are in. Some are clean and some are unclean. Jesus is breaking every one of those laws that separate us from one another. And people still say, but Leviticus says. (laughs) Y'all, have you read Jesus? (laughs) Have you read about Jesus? Because I would highly recommend reading about Jesus and how Jesus overcame any law that brought about separation from people, brought about, broke any law that kept people away, that kept some people out over there perpetually unclean while the religious leaders made power and money on the status quo on keeping that separation. Jesus is interjecting God's self into that moment, interjecting love into that moment, and breaking down the walls of division and saying to all people, you are clean, you are forgiven You are beautiful, and you are good. I love what Richard Rohr says, and I posted this week. Richard Rohr said this, Every time God forgives us, God is saying that God's own rules do not matter as much as the relationship that God wants to create with us. God is willing to break God's own rules in order to have a relationship with us. Wow. Yes. I love that. We see these stories in history, don't we? We see these people who have reached beyond themselves. We literally find those who are now saints like Mother Teresa who lived in a leper colony in India. A a colony that people would not go to, that were scared of. But she, as a follower of Jesus, said, I have a responsibility to love those that are not being loved. And she spent her life in Calcutta and the poorest of the poor, touching, blessing those who literally had leprosy. We find people like Pope Francis, who one of his first acts of Pope was to wash the feet of convicted convicts, prisoners. So often we, we treat those who have been incarcerated as less than human, don't we? Because they made a mistake, and the court's judge that they need to go to prison and then when they come back so often we don't accept them back do we because well I don't know did they change did they not change you see Leviticus gives us the way to say hey you know what all you need to do is go sacrifice a couple birds and you're good you're clean you're good you're forgiven and now you're back into community you are now our brother and sister again what Pope Francis was doing by washing the feet of those who were in prison was saying You are good. You are beautiful. And Pope Francis, the Pope of the Catholic Church, saying, I have come to serve you. Just like Jesus with his disciples saying, I have come to serve you. But so often we find ourselves separated further and further and further away from one another, don't we? Because of whatever reason, because of whatever difference we may find in our life, because whatever thing that annoys us about that other person, whatever thing annoys us about their political view or disagreement about about how they do their life or how they do this or how they do that, and we separate from them, don't we? But it seems not good enough anymore to just separate. We must dehumanize. We must shame. We must destroy that other person. Because somehow we can't live in the tension, can we? We can't live in the tension of difference. We can't live in the tension of different perspective with one another. We can't live in the tension that they see the world different than us. Well, I must destroy them. No, you don't. As a follower of Jesus, here's your call. Reach out and touch them. 
Reach out and bless them. Reach out and build a relationship with them. Love them. That's our call as followers of Jesus. Not to be stuck to your rules, but to be stuck to love. I love what the Gospel of John says. This blows my mind. Jesus, after the resurrection, comes with his disciples and he says this. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. This is after his death, during his resurrection. Peace be with you, Jesus says. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Of course, wow, man. Now what does Jesus have to say to them in this moment, in this amazing moment where Jesus shows up alive? Jesus was dead, and now Jesus is alive. We, the doors were locked. Now the, the Jesus is in here. Oh my goodness, what are the words Jesus is going to say to you? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Well, sending us to do what, Jesus? To take over the world? To establish Israel as the rightful kingdom? And with this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now get this. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. Whoa. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to read that again. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. Holy guacamole. Like, Jesus is giving us the power to forgive sin. Wow. He's saying this. As the, as, as the body that Jesus is building to the church, he's saying this to the church to say, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. It doesn't matter what they said over there. It doesn't matter what that said over there. It doesn't matter over there, over there. This is the way back into community. You are the priests of God, and you have the power to declare people clean. You have the power to declare people forgiven. But you also have the power to hold it. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Ooh, this is a deep responsibility. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I, I, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years, and, and I don't think I would ever have the audacity to sell someone. You know what? I don't think God's forgiving you. I, 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 don't, I don't think you're forgiven. I don't think that you're clean. You, you haven't done enough. You haven't said the right prayer. You haven't, you, but yet, so much of the church holds that view, right? I, I don't want to be part of that. Here's what I want to be part of. You're forgiven. You're blessed. You're beautiful. God loves you. You are enough. You are not unclean. You are clean. Come, be part of the community. Come, be part of this love. Come, be part of us. You no longer need to live on the outskirts. No longer need to live as marginalized. No longer need to live going around thinking that you are less than human because you are blessed and you are beautiful. Come on in, lovely brother and sister. Come on into the kingdom of God. Jesus has a place prepared for you here. There's this theologian that I love, Henry Nouwen. He... Um, he was a prominent theologian and professor at Notre Dame. And later in life, he went to work um, in, a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a house for developmentally disabled adults. And that changed his life. One of the things he said was later on in life, he said, you know, the thing that I love about working with them is they don't care about my doctorate. They don't care about where I spoke last week. They don't care. They just care that I love them. Ah, oh, yes. 
He says, I'm telling you all this because I am deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his own own vulnerable self. This is the way Jesus came to reveal God's love. The great message that we have to carry as ministers of God's word and followers of Jesus is that God loves us not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God has created and redeemed us in love and has chosen us to proclaim that love as the true source of all human life. Love is the answer. Love is the answer. In this moment, I think that we, are, we are sometimes gripped with fear, right? We are gripped with fear now. Like there, there's a coronavirus thing going on. And now everybody that coughs, oh, you know, everybody that coughs in church is like, <coughs> oh, no, did they have the coronavirus? Oh, no. Like, do we need to pull away from them? We may, like, this is our moment, followers of Jesus. We shall not be afraid of anything. But we are called when everyone is rushing away to rush in. When everyone's saying, ah, we can't touch as followers of Jesus, we say we have the power to forgive. The early, Christian, Christian, early Christianity grew in Rome, not because of some fantastic marketing campaign, but because literally no one would care for the sick except the Christians. Literally, Romans would drop their children in the middle of streets because they didn't want them. Babies, they would drop their babies in the middle of the streets in the sewage canals and they would let them die with exposure. This was a practice. But it was the Christians who would go take the child, pick them up, and raise them as their own. And that is why Christianity grew in Rome. That is why it became a force so compelling that the government was eventually forced to say, we can fight this or we can embrace it. And Rome embraced it. Which told another discussion about the benefits of that on Christianity. But this is why we grew early on, because we were the ones who were willing to touch. We were the ones willing to, to, to heal. We were the ones willing to raise. We were the ones willing to sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of others. This is the dream that Jesus has for us, that we would be people so consumed with love, that we would love every person so fully, so desperately, so sacrificially, that, the, that people would look and be like, you have, this is, this is more love than I deserve. And we would say, it is God's love that has been bestowed upon us as a grace, and now it is given to you. Go do the same. This is our call. Not to separate ourselves from one another, but to come closer. Not to pull, not to dehumanize, not to, not, not to destroy, but to bring together, to touch, to love, to forgive. Today, some of you have been excluded over and over and over and over again in your life, and you come to this place in your life right now where you think, can I ever be included? Yes, you can. Today, you are included. Today, you are loved. Today, you are embraced. Today, hear the words, you are lovely. And there is nothing in between you and God. God is not punishing you and you did nothing that God cannot forgive. You are forgiven. But today also for many of us, we hold on to our unforgiveness, don't we? We hold on to it and we weaponize it. Today, who do you need to forgive? Don't hold 
Don't, don't hold your forgiveness in. Don't be those ones who refuse to forgive. It will destroy your insides. It will destroy you. It will turn you into something that you do not want to become. Be free. Be joyous. Be gracious with your forgiveness. Today, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to let loose forgiveness upon? To say, you are beautiful and good and clean and holy and God loves you and I love you today. Leviticus made a way, but Jesus made a way. Today, let's follow the way of Jesus. As Jesus goes into the world, heals the world, declares the world good and holy and true. And today, as we take a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup, as we remember Christ's body for us, let us remember that God has forgiven us too. Let's pray together. Lord God of heaven and earth, we give you thanks for your goodness and mercy. We give you thanks for your grace in our life. We give you thanks that you have declared us clean when we felt so alone, when we felt so far. God, speak those words over us again. Speak those words of love. Say to us, you are clean. You are good. You are forgiven. And help us to be the church, O oh Lord, that speaks those words to the world around us when no one else will, saying, you are good. You are clean. You are forgiven. Lord, take our pieces and make us into the beautiful one that you desire us to be. Put us back together. Mend us. Restore us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.